This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... No restrictions. No restrictions. No restrictions. Oh, I love this no, no restrictions thing, man. Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir, it doesn't. Welcome back, everybody. Hello, hello. Show, what, 63 now? 63 now. Holy moly. I know, it just keeps going, right? It sure does, Tom. It's like a wise man once said, it's much like the freight, it never stops. <laughs> <laughs> or a somewhat wise A rail woman. fan. No, whatever. <laughs> a wise woman and a rail fan. Whatever. <laughs> so, we have another guest for you guys this week. We sure do. And um, I'm, one might say this interview is for the birds. Bird is the word, for sure. In the most respectful manner whatsoever. <laughs> like, let me tell you. Yes. So, why don't we get into a you heard, and then drop in on this week's interview. Sounds good to me. All right. You heard? So this week's You Heard comes to us from Washington Square Park, and it actually goes with the theme of this week's episode. Oh. I got a bird. I heard one of somebody say as they were walking past the bench I was sitting on when I was creeping outside the dog park one day. This is a very bird-themed show today. It is. I can see what this is shaping up to be all of a sudden. It's it's taking flight, the show, and the show is taking flight. It just keeps going. (laughs) We should put a bell at every pun we come up with this week. I feel like we would just have nothing but bells. And feathers. Bells of a feather. I don't know. That was a stretch. I'm not digging that one. No, that was a stretch. All right. So what do you think? Did we just finish this week's You Heard now? I think we did. All right. So be it. So this week's guest is Jonathan Mayberg, who is a singer, songwriter, and, of all things, an ornithologist. What is an ornithologist, Nikki? Well, Tom, I'm glad that you asked. That's because I don't know. <laughs> and or- <laughs> ornithology, ornithology is the, it's a branch of zoology that studies birds. I wonder if your mom would be an amateur ornithologist. I think she's a birder. Like, I think birder would be the term for her. So is he literally, like, a bird doctor? I don't think so, but I think, like, he's such an astute student that, you know, he kind of, he's gotten access to, like, a lot of birds, So as you'll find out in the course of this interview. So it's very much like mm, when somebody gets, like, a doctorate degree from a school years after they graduated. Like Dr. Bill Cosby. <laughs> kind of like that? I don't know, Tom. Well, let's... Anyway, so <laughs> we didn't just set out to talk to Jonathan about his birding background. He's actually in a band um, called Shearwater, and they're playing the Bowery Ballroom here in New York on December 18th. Which is weird, because when we originally got in, like the press release, we were thinking, we're talking to a rocker. Right? We're like, we're talking to a rocker. And then, like, somewhere, as you fans will listen to the show, you'll see it somewhere takes a turn. And then it's turned into a birder. Or an ornithologist. Which was really interesting. It really was. Because because I thought the music... And and the name Shearwater is actually a bird. It's a a seabird. It's a version of a seabird. 
So, you know, like he's very into birds and I think it's like really interesting. Like I, I found it like really, really interesting. But, you know, people might recognize him because he was in Ockerville River, which is like a really popular band. Um, and Shearwater is just a really, really good indie rock band. And let's, you know, roll that fabulous bird footage. Oh. <laughs> show how are you today i'm good how are you good good um are is now still an okay time for you now's a good time my only question is can you hear me yes yeah can you not hear me okay no no, i can hear you just fine but i i'm in a place where you know we've got like one bar so um if this if this becomes a problem i can call you back like on my google phone or something like that but okay this is fine we'll just roll with it yep definitely right now um i hear you loud and clear sir Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking to the High Regard Show. We're really excited to have you on. Um, you know, we want to start off a little bit um, by talking about, you know, you're wrapping up a year of touring um, here in New York where we're based on December 18th. How do you feel going yeah. into the final six shows supporting Jet Plane and Oxbow? <laughs> well, it, it's been a little bit of a break since uh, the last tour that we did in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few months have gone by, so I haven't been steadily on the road like I have been some years, okay. um, I sort of came to the conclusion that that's not a good idea for <laughs> the music to do that to yourself. Right. Um, the, the songs kind of turn to sand in your mouth after a while. Uh, and I've even seen people who are uh, you know, making lots more money than me um, and, and selling out big places uh, seem to get tired of it. Um, I think just I think your, your mind and body just start to rebel after a while. Right. So... Really, this is kind of a coming coming back to it after um, after having been away, which is always fun. I mean, it's uh, we have a, just three days to, to practice in Austin, and then we're off to the um, then we're off to the races again. And you know, after always, having a break like that, do you you know how do you prepare mentally to you know do to get back out on the road? You know, are, are there things that you do for yourself? Not really. It's it's always funny because when you you start playing the songs again, I always have a fear that I'm not going to be able to remember them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so much of remembering how to play the songs is kind of state-dependent. And I don't mean like, uh, you know, I have to to drink to play or anything like that. What I mean is that it's uh, when you're standing on the stage relative to the other people in the way that you normally do with your instrument, Mm-hmm. Um, and the context is all there around you, it's much easier to, to summon it all back in. When you're doing what I'm doing right now, which is um, working on my book, I'm at a residency upstate, and it's, you know, I'm looking out on six inches of snow. <laughs> <laughs> it feels very, very far uh, removed from the from touring. I uh, but and I, I, I still have, you know, I always have dreams going into a tour, you know, that I'm not going to, they're just typical performance anxiety dreams. You don't remember the songs or the equipment. Something's wrong with the equipment or uh, nobody's there, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And you said you're working on a book right now? Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm supposed to have that done by the end of this year. It's not going to happen, but it's. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping to have it finished up by the middle of next year. Oh, awesome. And w- what is it? Can you, can you speak to what it might be about? Yeah, it's, uh, it's nonfiction. Um, it is about 10 bizarre birds of prey uh, that live in South America and the people who live with them uh, and the story that they have to tell us about what happened to the world. <laughs> I, I hope they give us some clues about what we can do with it, too. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think they do, actually. It's a funny thing. It, it's... Uh, it's um, you know, I was just writing about this the other day, that, that uh, if you're worried about the future, uh, one thing that really does help is thinking about the past. Uh, because our world has gone through a lot, and um, it, it's a lot more than we give it credit for mm-hmm. in some ways. It's been torn apart and destroyed by fire and blown up. And, uh, you know, it has always uh, managed to, to reconstitute itself uh, in a beautiful and 
um, uh, meaningful way. And you know, whether that includes us or not, I have no idea. <laughs> right, right. You know, and earlier this year, um, you said that Jet Plane and Oxbow kind of, you know, reminded you of a breakup letter. And then when asked to elaborate on who you were breaking up with, you said perhaps the idea of the United States. It's almost as if you kind of foresaw what was coming, you know, in this post-election world right now. Jesus, I know. It, it's, um, I don't think I've... You know, when I was, when I was making it, I, I felt like I wanted to make a protest record. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't quite sure why I wanted that so much. Um, and I guess now I know. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> when you're working on, on things, like the, when you're working on art projects, they, I'm sure you know about this, like, it, like they seem to sort of know things that you don't know. or mm-hmm. they or, um, I think we're subconsciously much more uh, attuned to what's going on around us than we give ourselves credit for. But I, I'm, I would have liked for this record to, to apply less and less and less, and instead of, it, to me, it's felt more and more meaningful um, as the year's gone on. And in these last few shows, it's a protest record. We're going to protest. It's the, I'm going to play it as furiously as I possibly can. And do you think that, you know, are, are you working on new music or, you know, are you kind of consumed with the book right now? But, you know, is the new music going to be kind of informed by what's happening since, you know, Jet Plane was written? Yes, but not directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I never want to do the same thing twice just because I think that's not even possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the new music that I've been working on, I'm actually starting a new band. Um, with the uh, with the uh, people that we've been touring with this year, uh, a band called Cross Record, um, and I've been working with them uh, and uh, on a new album. That I don't I don't know if it's going to come out next year. It might come out the year after that. Okay. But we're about two thirds of the way through it right now, and I'm really excited about it. But it's the first time I've ever written songs for not me to sing, which has been a, a really interesting challenge. How did you approach, you know, doing that differently than your, your own thing? You know, like kind of how, how did you, you know, approach that? I've had to just figure it out. Um, Dan and Emily are uh, from Cross Record are really great collaborators. Um, I've had the other people from the Shearwater touring lineup this year also in uh, on some of those sessions. And it was just a chance to... Uh, to try something different, uh, to make some make new kinds of mistakes and, and find um, new ways forward that I really enjoy. I think it's always good to change the way you work. Absolutely. And, you know, what was it about, you know, Cross Record that, you know, you're, you're with them on the road, you went to Europe with them, you know, what made them such good roadmates and now, you know, collaborators? Well, it's funny because they... Uh, they had never really been on a tour in particular before, and I never would have guessed it. They were just so easy to be around, so self-contained. Um, they always had their shit together. Uh, you know, I've seen bands that have toured for much longer than them that are, that are far more uh, disorganized uh, than they are. And so they have a kind of seriousness of purpose that I, I really love. Um, and also, like in, in Europe, for instance, we're all crammed together in the same band, so there's um, there's six shearwaters, including our uh, sound technician, um, and then the driver, and then uh, Dan and Emily. So there's nine of us in this van with all our gear in it too. And oh my gosh. If you can you can get through a couple months of living like that with people. Um, <laughs> there's something pretty special about them. Awesome. Well, that's good. And how often, you know, are you like, how are you guys like collaborating with you being, you know, upstate? Is it kind of, you know, you're working on bits and pieces together or, you know, what's the process yeah, of something the new album? I started doing actually on, on Jetplane and Oxbow. I would go to Austin and work on it uh, for a couple of weeks and then, um, then leave for a while mm-hmm. and then come back to it a month or so later and work for another couple of weeks. And that's been such a, it's been so much healthier feeling, uh, and I think better for the work to um, to step away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to make records by just diving into it, you know, or like it's like you're entering, a, getting into a submarine, and you're going to surface at some point with the record finished. Right. And I think there's a there's a romance about that, about like you know, all right, we're going to go in, we're going to do it. <laughs> but all the same, 
I think it really benefits from the, the perspective you can get by not listening to it. I, I think one of the best things you can do for your record is not listen to it. So when you're not listening to it, are you listening to other music? You know, is there is there a certain band or two that's inspiring you right now? Uh, well, not bands, I wouldn't say. Uh, I've noticed this with a lot of people who, who um, musicians that I've, I've talked with over the years, is that the stuff that tends to be really inspiring to you doesn't really resemble what you were doing, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to try to find something outside of you, uh, then you should go as far away as possible. <laughs> and so the you know, a, a set of recordings that I always come back to, I've been saying this now for years, but it's still, uh, I still love it, is the Secret Museum of Mankind series, which is field recordings from around the world from between the 20s and the 40s, I think. It, it really captures um, all of these, kinds of human music that existed really before, I mean, it's, it's the very beginning of, of mm-hmm. recording technology, and so you get a sense of what the musical world of people was like before recorded music, listening to this stuff, it's just incredible. Every, every single thing in it is so alive, uh, and, and alive in a way that, um, that most music made now uh, is not. Right. And let's uh, switch gears a little bit for my last two questions, because I know we're on a uh, strict time schedule. Um, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about, I mean, like your band is named after a type of seabird. You're writing a book about, um, you know, birds of prey. How did you yeah. get into birding? I mean, well, is that even like kind of, <laughs> is that the, the right term that I, I'm using, like yeah. birding? I don't know if I'm a I don't know if I'm a birder or not. Um, in a way, there's 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 some ways I'd, I'd like to be that. I think of it almost as an aspirational thing because I know people who really know birds in a way that I can I could don't know if I could ever hope to. Um, on the other hand, there's also a side of it that, you, that I think is sort of what you think of more stereotypically of like a person trudging around trying to pick birds off a list, and uh, that is not something I'm interested in. Uh, but what happened to me was it, it landed on me by accident, really. I, I, uh, after college, I got this bizarre traveling fellowship called uh, Thomas J. Watson Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they fund you to do a project that you design yourself outside the United States for a year in places you've never been to. And uh, the project I proposed was to study community life at the ends of the earth. So I went to these really far-flung, remote human communities. Mm-hmm. And one of them I went to was the Falklands. And in the Falklands, I met an ornithologist uh, who was uh, doing a survey of birds on, on uh, the outer islands of the Falklands. There's one particular species of, of bird of prey, which is one of the ones I'm now writing about. And uh, I, where he was going was there was this archipelago called the Jason Islands that are far out to the northwest of the, of the group. Uh, and they're sort of the wildest part of the Falklands, and I thought that just sounded like an incredible place to see, so I tested him until he agreed to take me out as an assistant. <laughs> but what I didn't realize is what it actually would be like out there. I mean, I, I glimpsed a world that, you know, was in many ways like it was many thousands of years ago, if not millions of years ago. Uh, and I thought, God, I just had no idea the world could be like this. Right. Um, penguins and albatrosses and whales and seals and, you know, just this... Um, it, it blew my 21-year-old mind completely. And so that was my introduction to the world of birds. And uh, I don't know that I ever would have become so absorbed in it if it had just been, um, you know, looking at birds on a feeder in my backyard in North Carolina. Right. Although now those look just as remarkable to me in a lot of ways as the, the more exotic stuff does. But it, it, that kind of introduction to the world of birds, you know, there are albatrosses with wings that are 12 feet, <laughs> you know, 12-foot wingspan. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, so I, I had a, it was glimpsing that world um, and a sense of um, ways that the Earth used to be, um, and in some ways still is, uh, that, that really set me off on this path, I guess. And do you have um, a personal favorite bird? Well, yeah, it has to be the, the one that I met in the Falklands, striated Kara Kara. Uh, all ten birds that I'm talking about are all in this one group, the Kara Kara. They're a strange 
offshoot of the Falcon family. Okay. Uh, and they only live in South America. And the, the book, basically, the, the thing about them is that they're, they're very social, they're very intelligent, they're very curious. If you go to the islands where they live, they come up and start trying to take things out of your bag. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> they are really unusual. Uh, it, it's not just that they're uh, rare or hard to find or good-looking, although they're all three of those. They, they just seem more conscious than most animals you meet. And uh, my, my book sort of takes this question of, why is this here, and, uh, and why are they like this? Right. And in trying to answer that question, because it just seemed like a riddle. They, they just don't seem like they belong in that place. The penguins seem like they belong. The albatrosses seem like they belong. The whales seem like they belong. But these guys seem like visitors from another world that got lost. <laughs> and uh, trying to look into, trying to answer that question of what they're doing there right. and nowhere else, uh, takes us on the journey of you know many millions of years and many thousands of miles. And I spent a lot of last year traveling in different places in South America to um, visit the other the other birds in that group, all of which are just as weird in their own ways. <laughs> and did they ever steal anything from you, from your bag? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I lost a hat to them once, I think. Um, <laughs> Darwin talks about them stealing all kinds of things. Uh, the said that... Uh, they stole, like, a, a compass that this guy had in a red Morocco leather case, which was never recovered. Oh they stole, like, a pair of the heavy, sort of these, like, bolo things they used to catch cattle uh, and a hat. Uh, and they uh, just notoriously stealing people's camera lenses. And uh, they're just interested in anything they've never seen before, uh, which is a, evolutionarily usually a, a no-no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> leave you right to the jaws of death right away. They just missed yeah. that memo, I guess. <laughs> Pardon? They just missed the memo on uh, maybe not taking yeah, it. Yeah, they, they seem to, you're, you're like, do you guys not know about danger? And, <laughs> but they, they've grown up in a, in a, for many thousands of years in this very special environment where there's no penalty for doing that. Right. But their mainland relatives um, are equally clever. They're not quite as... Um, uh, they're more careful around people, um, but they're just as innovative in the way that they deal with the world. Um, they eat almost anything, and they have very clever strategies for how to deal with the challenges of surviving in you know every single kind of environment there is in South America. And it has them all, is the thing. South America is so vast and so varied. You know, it has the highest, largest plateau on Earth. That has the longest mountain range on Earth. Um, it has deserts. It has, you know, of course, the tropical forests, which are so famous. I mean, it, it just has everything. And it's, uh, for many millions of years, it was actually separate even from North America. It was sort of like its own planet. Right. And they come from that world. Awesome. Well, I thank you so much for speaking to the High Regard Show, Jonathan. We can't wait to see you guys uh, when you come in um, on December 18th to the Bowery. And I definitely look forward to this book. I mean, I just think that sounds so interesting. So I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. All right. Have a great day, sir. Me And because you missed us so much, we're back. <laughs> so it's weird how it changed, right? Because when I was editing the interview, I was like going, all right, we're talking music. We're talking music. Birds. Birds. And then birds came out birds. of like left field. Yeah, like birds just came out of nowhere. Yeah, it was just like it was such a weird changing of the gears all of a sudden. Gear. But it was good because it was multi-layered, this interview. Yeah. Which is... We always love when our guests bring something different than what they talk about to everybody yeah. else. Because I feel yeah. like because we strive to try not to like you know be so run of the mill and be a bird of a different feather. Uh, <laughs> is it too much? Going. Is it too much? I feel like it's too much personally okay. at this point in time. But whatever, man, you do what you gotta do, man. You know. <laughs>
It's half your show. You can burn it up if you want. I guess so. I guess so. But I really think it's cool that like he's doing a residency, writing a book about birds, and then you know the band. I mean, like the music is really, really good. Like I don't want to like discount like oh my god, this guy's like really into birds and everything. But like the music is really, really, really good. And if you like Ockerville River, you're really gonna like this song. And I mean, Quiet Americans is is an incredible, incredible track. Um, so you should definitely check it out. Well, that's the other thing that always fascinates me when you talk to somebody and then like they kind of change gears up a little bit and they, you know, they go from music to birds and you're kind of like, well, do you really want to promote the bird stuff? Because we're here to talk about we're taking time away from talking about like what you really want to promote. But some of these people are so passionate about the stuff that they're, you know. Well, yeah. And that's why it was like one of my last questions, because I was just like, you know, it's just like this thing where he was just like, oh, he's an ornithologist. And it's like, wow, like that's kind of an interesting thing because you hear like, oh, like a rock star gets into, you know, writing something else because they're writing music. So why wouldn't they write something else? Which, you know, so him writing a book isn't like all that shocking. Right. No, you know, and like some of them get into like art and other types of creative endeavors like photography or something like that. So, I mean, like, it's just really interesting that like, and he was able to travel like all over the world and like yeah, get to nice. see these birds and stuff like that. Like, I think that's really, really interesting. It's a very, very cool thing, man. Mm -hmm. I yeah. wish we had a hobby that would allow know, us to travel right. all over the world. Right, and, and study things. But yeah, so, um, you know, the band is playing the Bowery Ballroom on December 18th with with Cross Record, which they toured Europe with. Um, so, like, they've been on the road, like, you know, as um, Jonathan said during the interview. And, you know, they're touring in support of their Jet Plane and Oxbow, which is their latest album that came out earlier this year. All right. Very good. So, if you guys are hanging around... Go check out the show, man. Head on down to the Bowery. That's right. <laughs> so thank you very much. Great interview this week. Again. As always, it's just what I do. And yeah, <laughs> and that's, I guess, what you do after all, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I guess at this point in time, do you want to head into a roly-poly rorty? I would love to roll, fly into a roly-poly rorty. All right, let's do it. We're very blase fair today with our we show, are. I feel like. We are, and we're on a very, like, distinct, like, time schedule, so we're yes. just kind of, like, blazing through. Yeah, like, I I mean, you know, the, the, this, I feel like the schedule just keeps getting more and more insane. Like, with every each passing week, it just gets so much it does it does time like sands through the hourglass so are the days of our lives yeah boring <laughs> <laughs> so um let's see this week's roly-poly rorty i had something i wanted to talk about nikki was like don't it's gross nobody wants to hear about it nobody wants to hear about you being sick tom like nobody but here's the thing though, don't i'm gonna just i'm not gonna talk about throwing up but what i will say is this because I know you don't like it. But what I will say... <laughs> what I will say is this. Is that I know I'm not the only one going for the surgery. And I'm hoping that people that listen to this segment of the show... And there's a lot of them. And there are a lot of them. Like, I would say, like, one of the biggest things we get hits on is about roly-poly Rorty, Which is odd to me because, I guess, you know, health and weight loss health is... Health and weight loss is key, man. Yeah, everyone at some point thinks about it. Yes. So I feel like it is important to mention because someone's going to have it in the back of their mind just like I did. Like what happens if you go for a surgery and then all of a sudden you get sick and, you know, you have like a fit of feeling nauseous. Like what happens then? You like pop open stitches? Is something going to happen? I mean... But like are your stitches even... A, you're like two months past your surgery now. Yeah, but it's still a scary thought that any kind of trauma. Like if... Now, with, with running, I would say, on average, I'm running probably every other night now mm -hmm. at this point in time. Only because my back cannot handle every night. There's okay. no way. But, you know, there'll be times where I'll come back home and I'll be like going, oh, I feel like I might have just pulled something slightly in my stomach. And immediately I'm thinking, wow, what could have possibly have broke inside of me because you have this whole paranoia thing. I'm here to tell you, folks, you can get nauseous. And not have to worry about it. Your stomach will take the beating as long as you're two months out. I don't know what happens before that. You're on your own. <laughs> but um, 
But that's you. Everybody heals differently. Everybody heals differently. But I feel like, you know, this week it's like so bizarre because it started out at such a high point. I had good running days. Like really, really good running days that I was super happy with. And then, you know, all of a sudden Wednesday comes and feeling great Tuesday night, man. I came home from a run on Tuesday night. So you're going to work into this Wednesday. You're going to work Wednesday into it. I know it. Barely, barely. (laughs) But the way I'm going to say it is this, is Tuesday night I went for a run and I messed up the timing because for whatever reason, my app wasn't giving me audio clues. It was just giving me vibrations through the iWatch. Oh, poor Tom. Well, the problem with that is that if you're not kind of feeling for it and you're running in the rain like I was, torrential downpour, uphill, you oh miss God, your Oh my God, you cues. sound like, you're like such a total dad. Like, I, I had to walk dad. to school two miles That's uphill both ways in seven feet of snow. Well, regardless, there was no snow yet, but a lot of water. So... <laughs> I'm booking it, man, and I missed my cues for, like, the walking in between, like, the workout. Because as we talked about in the past, like, this app is a progressive workout for the 5K Meaning, runner. like, you do a couple minutes here, a couple, like, you do, like, this, like, you're supposed to three be doing minute three run, minutes, three, three minutes, minute walk, yeah. Two-minute run, two-minute walk, right. and so on. So, right. you know, I missed all the cues to walk, so mm-hmm. I wound up booking it for, like, almost, almost a mile and a half. Uphill, no up, less. It was literally, the whole thing is uphill. Yeah. And, like... I dare someone to challenge that comment because I will take you here. I'll take you on the other side of 149th Street and show you how things are done up here in Harlem. <laughs> that was so, legitimately something that somebody said to me once. <laughs> in the post office of all places. <laughs> when we literally just moved across 145th Street. Yeah, you're like, wait a minute, what happens up there? We, we just I was like, I just, here. What the hell I we... just gave my broker a down payment, what? Yeah, it's like, wait, somebody should have warned us that shit goes on up there before we got it. So, I mean, I booked it up, man. I felt good. I was like, man, something's wrong with the timer. It's not right. But, man, I get up there, and all of a sudden, I, I look at the timer, and it's like, holy crap, I missed three walking cues and just ran throughout it. So, obviously, the app is definitely working. Got home last night. Even during the warm down, it's a five-minute walk, warm down mm-hmm. at the end of it. And after, like, a minute, I was like, I feel good enough. It's downhill this direction. I'm just going to run. So, I just ran for an extra well, three minutes you, on top of it. So I get down, I get back home, I'm like, man, I feel good, it was awesome out, you know, like it was, like in the high 40s almost And plus you had on like gear. Yes, I mean, I was protected from the rain pretty much, my hair and face was soaked, but the rest of me was all right. So I get back home, take a shower, sitting on the couch, I'm like, man, it feels like so good, like I feel good, like I feel strong, right? And then next thing you know, this morning, I wake up at like... 6.30, and I am dead, like completely dead. I feel like my muscles are on fire, like my stomach was on fire, feel like gagging, feeling sick. Okay. So. You were sick. You had a a bug for a minute. I know, but I was feeling so strong the night before, though. It was like, killing me. Well, how are you going to, how are you going to try to make that not derail you? Um, well, of course, you know, the night of the sickness no running that night because that just doesn't make any sense. Just going to eat light because I think that's a good idea anyway. Definitely felt better like, you know, as the day went on later in the day. I slept till like 2.30 in the afternoon, which was kind of a lot. But, um, you know, you. by the time all said and done, I mean, I think as long as I keep with the diet, even if I wasn't running, I'm still losing weight. Yeah. You know what I mean? The running is just icing on the cake. That I'm not allowed to eat. Coincidentally, (laughs) you're not the only one who's losing weight. I know. You mentioned. Yes. I've lost seven pounds in the past couple weeks that I've been keeping track. And your clothes are fitting My clothes are fitting so better. I wore a dress. Like, I have this animal print dress that I have loved, and I just hated it on me. And I wore it the other day, and I felt, like, really good in it. So it's not very often that I get to say, like, I feel good in something. (laughs) Yeah, but you're not only your dress, but I mean, even your jackets and stuff like that. Because last year we bought jackets. Well, you got a jacket. Well, right? I had a jacket. No, I've had a jacket for a while. Well, you know, like even like the army jacket. Oh, stuff yeah. Like that, where you yeah. would like go to like zip it up and stuff like that. And you're like, I love this jacket. When we first saw it in the store, you fell in love with the jacket. Yeah. But you're like going, 
I'm gonna get it. And every time you put it on and would zip it up, you'd be like, oh, man, my jacket's I'd never tight. Be able, I couldn't even zip it up. Like, I couldn't even zip it. So I wore it for the first, like, what, year? I wore it for the first year. Open. Open. In the middle of the winter. In the middle of the winter. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, like, something that I usually wear when it rains because it's, like, it's like a, it's like a, almost like a rainy jacket, like a rain jacket. Yeah, it's like, like a like rainproof on Yeah, it's like an army rainproof jacket. And... The, the other like I wore it a couple weeks ago when we had like this bout of rain and I was like you know what I feel like it's kind of like like it's okay and like I zipped it up and it stayed zipped up it didn't the <laughs> seams didn't bust and I was like what so it just goes to show that like you know this isn't just something that's you like this isn't just roly-poly rorty this is like roly-poly family like and I think it's that Roly that- Poly and Associates. <laughs> and friends. <laughs> Good old pals. <laughs> We're just palling around. <laughs> but like I think maybe too that, that it's helping that you know we're doing this together like because if I was sitting there I mean first of all I wouldn't be able to handle the anger that would probably come if I was sitting there eating you know tater tots that weren't in the air fryer so that you could have them but like you know if I was just sitting there eating like some of the same same things that we used to love having like I wouldn't be able to do that in front of you no but think about it this way though we've been having a lot of stuff that we've had in the past that we were in love with it's just we're not eating a lot of it mm-hmm we're not even buying it in like in the quantities that we used to yeah, buy. Yeah, like you bought like a tiny little pack of chicken the other day and it was just like Yeah, and it lasted. I mean, you and I had like half of a tiny package of chicken yeah. yesterday. And we still have another half to go. Yeah, and plus like, you know, t- um little Tyler Durden and I have been doing, I think I don't know if we've ever really like delved into it, but um you know, we've done Blue Apron, which we just started like maybe 4 weeks ago now probably, right? No, it's longer, been a lot six? longer than that. Yeah, like we've been doing it for the yeah, past like, like two months maybe, like, you know, six to eight weeks, I'd say. Maybe. Something. And it's been like really, really good because it's like the portions are the perfect size. There's literally no food waste because, you know, we're not buying something and it's like, I don't feel like doing that. And then, I mean, granted, there are nights when I come home and I'm like, I literally don't feel like making something. <laughs> and like, but we get like the three, the three meal plan because I think they have a five meal plan, but we got the three meal plan just because of the way that our schedule is. And wait, wait. Let me just say this, because people, I didn't realize this, but a lot of people don't know, have any idea what Blue Apron is, which is weird to me. Okay, well, Blue Apron is a meal delivery service, Mm -hmm. and you could choose, um, you know, for family, which will feed like a family of four, Mm -hmm. um, and then, or you could choose like for two. So we get the for two right now, because we weren't sure where you would be with your diet and stuff. So for, but, you know, eventually we're going to switch it to to four once you get back on like regular food, which should be, and you know, you know, by the end of this month, you're going to be back to like- you know, you're going to be able to have steak and stuff like that. So, steak. steaks. <laughs> Medium rare. We just got, like, all excited. We went into, like, a reverie of steak right then. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, like, w- and once we do that, like, we're going to we're gonna go, go get a family of four-pack. And, you know, it's, it's three meals a week. It's basically, like, a chicken, a fish, and sometimes, like, a vegetable. Um, I am a horrible cook. Like, you know this. Everybody knows this. We all know this. Like, I was just like, and I'm a very, like, nervous cook. Like, I'm always afraid that, like, the chicken's going to be raw, and I hate touching chicken. But I think that, like, I mean, Tyler has told me, like, several times, like, wow, like, this is, like, you have gotten so much better. Because, like, they make it so idiot-proof for you. Like, everything (laughs) is broken down. And it's, like. And it comes with every ingredient. And it comes with every ingredient. It comes with pictures. It comes with, like, how it's supposed to look, what the ingredients are. It gives you pictures every step of the way. And, like, because one of my things was never, like, I was I never knew how to, like, time a meal. Where, like, I would start making the pasta. And, like, I remember making that stupid pancetta meal a couple of years ago where, like, I put the pancetta in the pan not thinking that, like, it wasn't cooked. Like, I didn't know that it wasn't cooked. I thought that that was what it looked like. And, like, yeah. the pasta ended up being, like, hard as a rock because I put it in while I was browning the, the pancetta because I didn't think it was going to take that long. But the pancetta took, like, 15 minutes beyond the time of, like, the cook time. So it was, like, I never knew how to pace a meal or anything like that. And this teaches you, it's, like, okay, while this is happening, do this. While this is still cooking, do this. And it's, like, it, right. it, it's incredible. And it's cheaper than going to the store. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Well, first of all, I feel like one of the problems in the past that you've had was 
when you would start to make something, if we didn't have an ingredient for it, you were just like, going, I'll substitute something for it or I'll just leave it out. Mm-hmm. And with some of these meals, it's kind of like, well, you can't leave out that ingredient because it's just not going to taste the same as you know, as we have learned over the years. <laughs> but with this, every single ingredient's included. Now, if you were to go out and buy each of, these, of these ingredients, ingredients. you'd go broke. You would absolutely positively go broke. There's no doubt about it. And especially in our neighborhood where, like, you know, some stores don't have the greatest stuff. So, like, you'd have to go to, like, three different stores to get the type of the, the quality of product that we, like, you know, we get through Blue Apron. Right. And they'll send you just enough for each thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not like now I have a spice rack filled with stuff I'm going to make for one meal. And yeah. that's all I'm ever going to use it for. This is like, when you get it, you're like going, this is the right amount for this meal. It's already pre-measured. That's it. Now, our thing, I was talking to people at work about it. Our meal, for the th- for the three-person meal, I think it's like $67 mm-hmm. for six The four-person meal, right? For the for the two-person meal. Oh. I think it's like $67. I, I think that's what 59. 59. Well, they have the tax. And oh, whatever. Okay, okay. I think, I think it's something okay. like that. But anyway... You know, people at work are like, man, isn't that expensive? And I'm like... Yeah, well, my mom was like a huge naysayer. Like, that's so expensive. And it's like... But it's not, though, because think of it this way. When we get that box, everything comes as needed. It's all separated the way it needs to be. We just throw it in the refrigerator and just And it's incredible how it's packaged. Like, when you open up that box, you've got the recipe cards on top, and then you have, like, the fruits and, like, all the other stuff, like, on top. And it's, like, in this, like, silver like bubble wrap bag almost but it's like and it's got two layers of ice on the bottom so like the bottom layer of ice then like the meat product or fish or chicken or whatever you know your protein is whatever needs to be refrigerated is there yeah well everything needs like most almost everything needs to be refrigerated but you know and then you've got this like other ice pack on top of that so like the the food is like if it sat outside your door for like two hours, it's not, like that pack takes like two days to completely defrost for us to throw it out. Yeah, you'd be fine. It, it's incredible. Like it, it's really incredible how it's packed and it, it's really, really cool. Yeah, but if you went to the supermarket though and tried to buy the ingredients for the meals that we're having now, like the, the stuff that you're making yeah. right now, you're not getting out of it. We, we can't make a supermarket trip for anything and not leave without Under 50 spending bucks. Yeah, yeah, easily. Where here, it's like you're getting a week's worth of food if you break it down with who's running out, who has to be someplace. Right. I mean, you know, so it's a week's worth of food for like un- well under $100. When we used to go food shopping, our bill was never under and like Yeah. And like never. there were times when it would be like because it's so hard – like, especially for Tyler, because she's not into food the way that we were. So we would, like, plan our whole week around what we were eating. She's not like that, because right. she she's just not like that. So it's like, oh, my God. It's like, well, what do you want for dinner? And it's like, I don't want to be going to the store every day. But, like, I was going to the store every day because everybody's just a pain in the ass. So it's <laughs> like, you know, and then, like, it, I'd be dropping, like, 50 to 70 bucks every time I went to the store. Like, three times a week. So when you look at it that way, compared to $59 plus tax... Like, you can't beat that. And they bring it to you. You don't have to go to the goddamn store. And our store trips, like, we're going to the store maybe once every two weeks now to get, like, her school lunches and to get, like, my breakfast that I take to work. So it's like, we're only running with what we need right now. Like, we're we're eating off the land, like, of our fridge. Right. And the other cool thing about it was years ago, I had a nutritionist that suggested we try Blue Apron or another service like it. And... You know, her whole idea behind it was, is that when you go to a supermarket, and as you know, like, especially after, if you listen to the, you know, (laughs) just after surgery shows, when I would have my meltdowns in the supermarkets, because it was just so hard going in there, because I couldn't have anything, and I wanted everything. But you were like that way before your surgery, Yeah, but way worse after the surgery, because it's like being dropped in the middle of it, (laughs) and not being able to eat it, where now it's kind of like, yeah, I could, but I know what the consequences are, so I won't. But, you know, her thing back two or three years ago, whatever it was, when I was talking to her, she was like, you know, you should try one of these services because you get what you need. It's it's the dinners. They're nutritious. Every single one of them Mm -hmm. comes with a vegetable and and Mm -hmm. a meat as opposed to, you know, you and I would go to the stores. We would go and get like a steak and we'd be like, we're going to make instant mashed potatoes with it. That's our vegetable. And that was it. Right. Where here it's like, nope, legitimate vegetables for everything. And the most important thing is, 
is you're not walking up and down the aisles and buying those impulse things because we would impulsely buy. We weren't going and seeking no, out no. Entenmann's cookies and, and donuts and cake. We would just They just found it. their way into us. <laughs> well, let's see you pass it and it's kind of like, I hear you calling me. I see, I you. see you, baby. <laughs> That's it. Jump Shaking in. that ass. <laughs> Jump on in. But no, and like, you know, it's true. And like, like they say, like you're supposed to like in a grocery store because every grocery store, while different, is same, same. Because... <laughs> You've got the produce on the one end and then the meat on the other end. And then like you come down and the frozen food is there. So you're supposed to stay in that like U shape. You're never, ever really supposed to go down into like where the The candies are and like the the other stuff and everything, you know. So it's just really like it's true. And like you really have to like make like you really have to make an effort to to be good in a grocery store we're here this comes right to us right, so and no i effort. and i find like when i do have to go to the store it's like i'm making better decisions when i do go to the grocery store and like we really haven't bought like a lot of bad shit but you know what i think a lot of that is it's training now like i think after a while of not having it in the house because we have the deliveries it's kind of like mm, i realize i don't need it now you know, like if you've yeah. gone, like if you can go, I would say four weeks, if you can make it four weeks without. Well, snacking, 21 days is what they say. They, the experts say is to make a habit. So like if you give, if you commit 21 days to exercising, to eating right, by the time those 21 days are up, you're conditioned to like not even want the things that you used to have. Right, and I definitely see that. And I yeah. see that not only just in me, but I see it in you. I see it in Tyler because, you know, Tyler would always come and be like, what's a snack? And now instead of just having awful snacks around the house, because mm-hmm. we would have like bags of chips, so we would have cookies, yeah. or we would have just something you can grab. Now it's like spend eight minutes and throw coconut shrimp in the air fryer. Right. And it's like going, and now – it's not a bad snack because, again, no. no oil. It's coconut. No. It's shrimp. There's nothing wrong with it. Have at it. No. And just to give you an idea of, like, some of the things that I've been – that, like, we've been making. Um, you know, we had roasted pork steam buns where, like, we made actual, like, you know, Asian steamed buns where, like, I steamed buns and, like, it was <laughs> seared pork. Then we had, like, salmon and spicy carrots and chicken. We had – like, I crisped cat fish and i've been zesting things and chopping up ginger and like i've been making like like i've been touching meat and chicken like i'm okay with like i can get my hands dirty to like take the pork and like make it into a patty but like chicken i'm not ever gonna get used to touching chicken you'll get used to i'm not i hate touching it chicken is just disgusting but like among our favorites was just like we had these beef skewers that were so good um we made like chinese chicken and broccoli Mm-hmm. like hoisin chicken and broccoli there was like cod sandwiches there was crispy chicken like a fried chicken that i made and then there were pork meatballs that had like a beet and cranberry oh my god it was so good like i'm just looking back through this and like tyler loves like the indian fare so like we had curry which was like incredible which we would never on our own think of making because we would no. think skill level wise no we're not gonna go and make a curry yeah. dish there's like, no way like there are things like i made Viet- vietnamese and like meatballs and seared chicken and like i've make i've made like butternut squash hash the only the my only complaint about blue apron and it's just a physical thing for me it's like i have a hand problem like i have carpal tunnel so it's like really hard for me to like chop so much and it does require like a lot of like chopping into little pieces like especially squash and squash is such a pain in the ass to cut but like it teaches you how to use these ingredients and it's like if i might not be able to find like the type of spice that comes with this food i'm going to be able to find something similar and make this dish down the road because you the 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 recipe cards are complete like they're incredible to look at and the stuff that like it's make it made me a better cook like outside of blue apron when i cook on that and you're definitely way more confident yeah as opposed to because in the beginning when we got the first delivery you looked i at was it petrified you, you were like oh this wasn't a good idea <laughs> i was so petrified and literally by the end of the first week it was like man you made some really incredible meals and because it's just so easy to follow along with no big deal. Yeah. And I mean, like, granted, like, sometimes, like, it seems like it takes, like, like about an hour 
to make but like that's like, like that seems normal because like between like the prepping and the cleaning up like and stuff it's like it's like an hour and you know what but to- you know if you if think about your mom growing up like anybody our age oh yeah you know my mom would come home work and a eight ten hour day and then you know make a sauce and just have it cook and then yeah. we would eat late at night because things would get done late yeah. which probably is one of the things that like helped make my diet such a bad thing because <laughs> you know you had to work a full day and then try to like do the right thing and make a real meal yeah where at least here it's not like you got to go hunting around for like the ingredients yeah and it's not been like you know we haven't had like a lot of pasta which has always been like because pasta was the yeah. one thing that i was like i can't screw up pasta so i'm gonna cook that you know and like it's just getting me out of my comfort zone and i really enjoy doing it yeah, and between that and, and like, you know, like you said, we get three days worth of meals from that, and then we have the air fryer on the other days. You love the air fryer. I love the air fryer. And it's Why don't just you talk about the new contraption, simple, the, the new simple the new concoction that you did? Very I, briefly. Very briefly. I had this idea in my head, and I know it has to exist out there. Like, I didn't invent it. I know it has to exist out there. But my God, man, just an avocado. You cut a you, – you core an avocado, peel it. Split it into four. So you have like four, you know, you split into quarters. Yes. And then you wrap it in turkey bacon. Drop it in the air fryer for nine minutes. And when it's done, just pour. We tried ranch on it, but now we got horseradish for it. And my God, an eight-minute thing. It is nothing but avocado. Which is a good fat. Good fat. Turkey bacon. Which is a good protein. Which is a good protein. And just horseradish on it horsey sauce seriously i can only eat a half an avocado with two pieces of bacon that's all i can eat because it is so freaking it's filling. so good yeah but my god the flavor of it even tyler who doesn't like to mix she, she came home one day and i was like i made you know a mm-hmm. whole avocado i finished half of it and i'm like i can't finish the other half of this avocado and i said try a piece of it and she was like i don't like mixed foods and i was like just try the stupid <laughs> thing so she tries it. Next thing you know, the other three pieces, gone. And then, you know, since then she's like, can you make that avocado again? <laughs> so, I mean, the air fryer for days where we don't have meals, it's just a quick way to have something still healthy right. that tastes like it shouldn't be. And really quickly <laughs> also, a favorite place back home is the tipsy turtle oh yeah where we go when we would go home for like regular visits we would and like when we lived there we would often go there because they have like the most amazing wings they've got like a thousand different sauces and like all these things but the thing is it's like they're not like you can get bites and they're not they're called turtle bites and they're not like breaded but like they're not just not like like they're like dredged in flour they're or something flour. yeah they're floured and you have had it in your head like well if we can put this in the air fryer maybe we could like invent you know a boneless chicken and wing. you invented like an amazing sauce yesterday and it was like <sighs> seriously it was like we just put enough in to fill like the little container and i think maybe there was what like 10 bites yeah, and it was way more. And it was like that. half it of a pound, so right? Filling. Yeah. Like it was. Because it, it was straight up protein. Yeah. So basically, all it was was just um, egg and milk, mix it, drop in these little chicken chunks. <laughs> chicken already, chunks. Yeah. And then just roll it in flour. You drop it in the air fryer. You do nine minutes at 400 degrees, turn it another nine minutes. While that's cooking, I just took regular grape jelly. Mm-hmm. A small pot, two tablespoons of grape jelly mm-hmm. on low flame, melted it down till it was a liquid. But then we have that PB two PB two powdered peanut butter, which powdered is like a thousand butter. times better supposedly than regular peanut butter, which you could put in oatmeal, any like, protein it's shakes, crazy. yeah, like it's so good. So I took um, a half a tablespoon of PB two, dropped it in. So into the jelly, jelly mixture. Yep, okay. as it was melted, mix it all together really good. The peanut butter made it thicker. The whole sauce became thicker because mm-hmm. of that. It was like almost like a glaze, like a thick, thick glaze. Yeah, and then when the all of the chicken was done, I just took that out and dumped it in the pot with that. Mixed and the whole mixed thing it up, up, let it sit for a minute, and it was peanut it was butter incredible. and jelly chicken bites. And my God, man. And we have so many ideas for different other sauces, too. So stay tuned. So, I mean, 
the D, I would say the air fryer still my favorite invention two weeks after the fact. Like, <laughs> and we have definitely so the moral of this roly poly rorty is that we have been eating so much better, like both for our health, for your health, <laughs> and just like quality wise. Like yeah. our food has just like we're eating and enjoying what we're eating in a healthy way now. Well, it's weird because I feel like people have told us this forever. They're like, oh, oh if you start eating healthy, it will just come naturally to eat healthy. And it's kind of like, it's hard to break the cycle, though. Yeah. It's, you know, when you can have a pint of ice of haagen over dinner, you know, it used to be I would or choose the, after dinner. <laughs> right. Or one before and one after. But <laughs> so, you know, you can get into a habit, which is good. And yes. I know this was a long roly-poly, Rorty, but. We had a lot of ground to cover. We had a lot of ground to cover. So let's wrap it up, eh? Yes. Okay. So, Nikki, quickly, you want to talk about work? It's been a really busy couple weeks, but I had a really good week this week um, in Lockwood. I got to interview a hockey star. Who was this hockey star? (laughs) Don't tell my Islander fans, my fellow Islander fans. (laughs) But I got to uh, interview Rondu Gay, who played for the Islanders, or (laughs) played for the Rangers, who played for the Rangers like back in the 70s and 80s. And it was a really cool thing. Um, It was about. this ice hockey in Harlem, which is, you know, for underprivileged kids up here in Harlem, like teaching them how to skate and stuff. And this really, really nice, very inspiring young boy um, as part of his mitzvah for his 13th birthday, yeah. he wanted to donate. He wanted to just like, you know, get equipment for these kids, you know, because like they've been really just having their hockey equipment be handed down. And as you know, as a hockey parent, that hockey equipment is ridiculously expensive so this boy um dylan gallagher he just somehow his story made it up the ranks of the nhl and a huge huge um equipment provider ccm got word of it and donated like twenty thousand dollars worth of brand new equipment to these kids playing here in harlem so we got to go cover that and it was really really cool to just watch like these kids just like wait what like this stuff is for us like they it was... had no idea they yeah. were escorted into the locker room and ron Duguay was there to present the equipment to them and once they walked in like they were just sitting there looking at boxes of brand new skates and skates helmets. Skates and sticks and sticks helmets, and, yeah. And it wasn't like, you know, you could get you can get low-end CCM equipment for street hockey and stuff like that. You can get a $15 stick. No. These no, weren't these were, the sticks. They were getting like $200 plus dollar and, sticks. And um, ice hockey in Harlem is you know, has proudly and very awesomely had, you know, the Rangers as, as their partner for the last Ugh. like 30 some years now. It's like they, since they've been founded, like the Rangers were always really involved with them and it, it, it's, it's very admirable. But the thing that we loved is that like one huge chunk of sticks was our captain, John Tavares that's from the Islanders. Right. So we were like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and listen, man, like on the ice, they're mortal enemies. Those ranges. They're mortal enemies. Bastards. But they did do a really nice thing. I mean, it was And that's the thing about hockey. Like hockey kids. hockey guys are such a charitable group. And and it's just awesome how much hockey people hockey players give back to the community. So it was really cool to like kind of really see that firsthand and not just like read about it on like the Islanders site or, you know, the NHL site or anything like that. Like it was just really cool to be a part of it and see that firsthand. I like how you didn't say read it on the ranges, like I would have kicked you <laughs> so hard under the table just now. You have no idea. But, like, so what yeah. Are you doing? <laughs> so that's that. That was such an awesome thing, though, and I mean, just to see the kids, that was like yeah. the best. Absolutely Very good. Best. Yeah, so. I love seeing like little kids and like, like this tiny little two foot tall kid and like thirty pounds of gear. <laughs> like it was awesome. But imagine the shape they're in, though, man. Yeah, like, like they're in better shape oh, than I am. Oh <laughs> my god, they're in better shape than all of us together. So, what do you think about getting into a digenome? I think we should. Okay, great. Let's do it. All right. Did you know? All right. This week's Did You Know is going back to the interview. Brings it all around. Because, you know, rockers, they're a weird group sometimes. They can be. They have these 
hobbies, you would never think of them. Some of them you know about because they made it very public. Mm -hmm. Not all of them, though. It's, it's like kind of surprising what they're into. Okay, what like what? Well, Gibson Guitars had this list, and I have taken the top five that they have found. And this is the top five rockers and their hobbies. Number five is Neil Young. His hobby? Trains. Really? Trains. At one time, the legendary Neil Young was a part owner of Lionel LLC, one of the world's best-known model train and railroad what? accessory companies. I am a rail fan. And he still consults with the company to this day. What? Yep. He is named as co-inventor on seven U.S. patents related to model trains, including Lionel Legacy System, which Lionel claims will allow you to operate your layout like an engineer operates his train. I had no idea. Like, honestly, when you said, as soon as you said his name, I was like, oh, well, he, like, made an electric car out of, like, an old, like, 67 Chevy or, like, some old clunker gas guzzler. Like, <laughs> he made, like, run on, like, he made it run efficiently or something like that. So I thought you were going to be like, oh, he, like, retink he tinkers with old cars. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, see, I told you these were going to get you because, seriously, when you start looking at these things, because they all have such weird hobbies. Yeah, that's incredible. What's number four? Number four is Steve Vai, my oh, you love Steve favorite Vai. guitar, one of my most favorite architects of guitar. <laughs> <laughs> His hobby is beekeeping. Beads. Bees? Beads. Beads. I think I knew that. Everyone's favorite guitar singer from Venus became interested <laughs> in beekeeping when he lived in Hollywood. But when he moved to... As Enc one does. <laughs> as one does. When he moved to Encino, California, his hobby took an even greater focus. As Vi told DIY Channel a few years ago, um, I went online, learned about honeybees, found a local beekeeper, a really nice guy named Dave the Bee Man, <laughs> and got myself a swarm. Vi oh quips God. that he can relate to the honeybees' work itself to death work ethic. Vi is best known for auctioning off honey from his own bees to benefit his Make a Noise Foundation charity, and you can hear the musical evidence of his pastime in songs Bangkok and Voodoo, Voodoo Acid. Well, there you go. Bees. Bees? Number three, Jeff Beck. Ooh. His hobby is cars. Like how so? Um, Jeff Beck is into classic Ford hot rods, and he performs much of the extraordinary and engine work himself. Beck told TV show Crazy Car that he unsuccessfully tried to buy a yellow deuce coupe driven by a character, John Mindler, Paul Lamatt, in George Lucas's 1973 <laughs> film American Graffiti. Beck took matters into his own hands and built his own replica of the car, although a few years later he actually claimed to own the license plate number THX138, which Lucas used in the movie in tribute to his previous film THX1138. Interesting. I would, wouldn't you think that, like, guitarists would be, like, afraid that, like, you know, like, working on cars is, like, very handsy and it's very hands-on. Like, wouldn't you be afraid that, like, something would happen to your hands? You would slip or something. Because I yeah. remember my dad like, working on the cars... He would always bleed. My dad yeah. never wouldn't do something where he wouldn't come off. He'd have a cut on his hand, yeah. his arm, and he'd be like, "On when you work on cars, you have to expect to give some blood back." <laughs> but you know, but how often is Jeff Beck touring now? Now, like I feel like if he's he's more he he's pretty now? active. Yeah, I really? mean, like as I remember, like recently, like seeing him playing somewhere. Yeah. I wonder if he has like some kind of contractual thing with the record company. Like, look, while you're know. on tour or doing an album, you can't. I don't know. You ask questions and get mad at me later. All right, number two. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna probably know these pretty quickly. Number two is Nikki Six. His hobby? What do you think it is? I don't know. I have no not idea. strippers, photography. <laughs> The Motley Crue bass player, songwriter, spends a lot of his in between show downtime visiting the seedier parts of town to meet and photograph the down Forden and the results are <laughs> are all through his latest book. This is gonna hurt. Nikki Six is also an avid camera collector, although he says in his book he will use whatever it takes to get the right shot, even if it means the camera in his cell phone. 
Six works on displays a finely developed sense of professionalism and style that are good enough to make you forget that his day job is a member of one of the biggest rock bands in the world. I think that's kind of cool. Like, that's very him. Like, going to the seedy part of town to take photos. Like, I, I'd be interested in that. Yeah. Wink, wink. I'm going to take photos in the seedy part of town. <laughs> I got, oh, I only have my camera phone with me today. I, I'm going to just give it a go and see what just I can find Just give me that needle there. and <laughs> I'll right. be on my way. <laughs> All right. Number one. Number one. Slam dunk. Alice Cooper. Golf. You got it. On VH1 Behind the Music Special, the reigning king of shock rock says he took up golf around the time that he quit drinking. It helped him keep his mind off alcohol and essentially became a new healthy addiction. Alice claims to play six games a week off a handicap of two, which is incredible. And he's such a golf fiend that in 2007, Autobiography was called Alice Cooper, Golf Monster. Alice is not alone in his love for the game. Other rockers... Um, golf include Rush's Alex Livingston and Judas Priest's K.K. Dowling. And he was number one. You know, I actually interviewed him once and we did talk about golf. Did it, is he like really that addicted he is, to it? He is addicted and he will plan, like he will play in every city. Like he will seek While out a golf tour. course in every city that he plays in. And I was like, you know, will you be visiting? Like what golf course will you be visiting? And he said that he went to Glenmora, which is a big golf course in Scranton. Nice. Yeah. So he is definitely, I can I can vouch for Alice's hobby. I mean, it makes it awesome. But if you're going to be on tour and like have to be out on the road and stuff like that, to have a hobby where you can actually take it with you. And get outside and not just be like in a tour bus or whatever. Yeah, man. Yeah. Very, very good, cool. did you know? Yes. Thank you very much. And that will conclude this week's did you know play that funky music did you know so again we just want to say thank you to jonathan mayberg for uh, of Shearwater for talking to us and be sure to check out their new album jet plane and oxbow and if you're in the new york area you might want to find yourself at the bowery ballroom on december 18th where Shearwater will be playing with cross record yeah do that peoples and if you want to learn more about The High Regard Show, check us out at highregardshow.com. And as always, please feel free to keep sending us your comments, some of which are hysterical, <laughs> that we don't necessarily want to talk about on air, <laughs> um, at highregardshow at gmail.com. And as always, you can join the fun on social media by following at highregardshow. And that does it for us for another week in the books, everybody. Thank you again so much for listening. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Bzzz.